Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. It is good to be with you this morning. God is good and greatly to be praised. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I may have preempted our video, but that's all right. We'll wait a little bit and we'll do it in just a moment. But uh, first off, I want to thank everybody for their help with the Arise Conference and how wonderful that was. And uh, praise God, were you blessed by it? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God was good. I believe it was the best one we've had. And, um, you know, it was, um, we've had Arise now for going on 10 years. And, uh, and so I just believe that it was uh, tremendously blessed and anointed. And I believe lives were transformed and changed forevermore. Amen. So we're going to talk about the days of Noah. Okay, we're going to finish this up, and uh, praise God, um, we're going to try to, uh, so you pray for me, amen? Let's go to Matthew 24, Matthew 24, hallelujah, Matthew 24, you know, before we uh, uh, arise, the last time that I was with you, I showed you about gene editing uh, abilities that have come on the scene, and that you can get your your home CRISPR gene editing machine for $150 uh, so that you can alter your genetics and the genetics of your animals and uh, various things. And uh, we are seeing that these things are coming about, but these are not new. These are not new. These are things that have been around for millennia. It's just that the days of Noah are returning. I said the days of Noah are returning. Amen? And, you know, when it comes to the end times, Jesus gave us a, a glimmer, probably one of the biggest ways to understand what's going on in the end times in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 36. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, people have a problem with that because they say, well, if Jesus was God, you know, and he is equal with God, then uh, he would know exactly what the Father knows. But we have to understand that when Jesus became flesh, when the Word became flesh, he subordinated himself unto the Father. Amen? And so, therefore, he is just like the, the bridegroom that is waiting for the Father to say, go get your bride. Amen? And uh, he, too, is waiting for the hour. Amen? He, too, is anticipating splitting the eastern sky. Praise God, coming down with the trump of God, with the shout of the archangel, and calling his bride home. Amen? So it's important for us to understand that, that Jesus subordinated himself as a man unto the Father. Now, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. Amen? And right now, there's a man sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So he has raised humankind up to a place that not even the angels and other Elohim are. Amen? And he has given him authority because we're made one with him, and all things are under his feet. Therefore, everything is under our Come on now. Are you awake out there? But notice it says this, For as were the days of Noah... Everybody say days of, Noah. days of Noah. Days of Noah. Well, that's a major clue. 
Now, to the audience that he was speaking to, they knew exactly what he was saying. But because we have had a Eurocentric gospel preached to us that is not based upon the Middle East, is not based upon the, the, the traditions or the, the passing down of the, uh, of the knowledge of the early church and even before then, we kind of, it's lost to us. And we've kind of relegated it to what he says next. For as in those days... Before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now, when he's talking about this, sure, life is going to go on. People are going to plan for the future. You don't get married unless you believe there's a future. That there's a tomorrow. So they were planning, eating and drinking as if nothing was going to happen, even though for the space of 120 years, Noah preached the gospel, basically admonishing them to repent and get right with God so that this judgment would not come upon the earth. And yet they did not heed him. They did not listen to him. And they continued living as they normally lived. Now, their normal way of life and our normal way of life was drastically different. Because there were things in the days of Noah that are returning in this day. And it's already happening. Now, people may, you know, ask questions, say, well, why is pastor preaching on this stuff? Why are we preaching on the end times? You know, there seems to be an aversion in the church to preaching about eschatology and preaching about the end times. Because we have this mindset that, well, we're not going to be there. Well, we're here now. Do I believe in a rapture? Absolutely, I believe in the rapture. But I also believe that uh, when we look at the, the seven seals of the book of Revelation in, in uh, Revelation chapter 6, we're seeing before the tribulation. Those seals are open before the tribulation because Jesus clearly says this in Matthew 24. He says that people will come to deceive and then peace will be taken from the earth. And then it talks about famines and earthquakes and pestilence and all that. That's before the tribulation. So, you know, we have to be ready and prepared as the body of Christ to live victorious lives in the midst of adversity that is coming upon the earth because people are depending upon you and I to convey the gospel message and exemplify the new creation so that they too can receive Jesus and be victorious. Amen. And that's why I call this reigning in the system of the beast because we're called to reign in the midst of the system of the beast, which doesn't start in the tribulation. It has already been here and is active. Amen? And so when it comes to the days of Noah, you've got to know very specifically what the days of Noah are. They all knew it. They knew, yes. They were shaking their head, yes. And it's something that's taught throughout the Scripture what the days of Noah were. Amen? And so we're going to look over at um, um, Genesis chapter 6. Now, this is, 
this is where pastors skip over. You know, this is this is stuff that well, it's, we're going to talk about God creating the heavens and the earth, but then we're going to skip to Abraham. You know, we're not going to talk about these things because they're weird. But we have a saying around here that was quoted by Michael Heiser, and it says, "If it's weird, it's important." Amen. Now, most people have abandoned Genesis chapter four to Genesis chapter eleven because it deals with prehistory. And they want to delegitimize this scripture and say that this is not true history. You'll see all kinds of, of um, documentaries on, is Genesis true history? Is the Bible the truth regarding mankind? Because we've been taught, if you go to school, you've been taught about evolution. You've been taught about, you know, coming out of the primordial soup and becoming over millions and millions and millions of years, finally becoming, you know, who we are today. But the Bible teaches a different story. The Bible doesn't teach that we're evolving. The Bible teaches that we're devolving, that we're diminishing, and that every time the genome is continued throughout this fallen world, it diminishes and depreciates and continues to be contaminated because of sin. Amen? And anyone that will teach you that there is some kind of enlightenment out there and that mankind is going to the golden age on its, on its own is totally, absolutely mistaken. Our technology will not save us, even though that's what they're desiring to do. And so now they're genetically altering babies, animals, and plants. They're doing all of these crazy experiments in regards to that to where you're not even eating real food majority of the time. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse because the love of money is the root of all evil. And the reason why they, they contaminate your food and they do all the things that they do and do the shortcuts that they do and pay off scientists to give approval to certain drugs and certain things that they know that are harmful for you is because the love of money is the root of all evil. And I could give you a great sermon that I'm working on that the uh, love of money is actually the work of, is, is the system's Holy Spirit because it motivates, influences us, and it begins to, it leads us. Amen. We make decisions based upon what's in our pocketbook. Come on now. We make decisions based upon what we have in the bank. Amen. And we, we, we will move our family from one coast to the next based upon money. Not even thinking about whether it's the will of God for our lives to move there. I've had people promoted out of the will of God through promotions at their workplace. Hello. You got to learn to say no. No will take you places yes never can. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So in Genesis 6, we looked at the Nakash. We looked at Genesis 3 last time we were together. I could go through the whole sermon again because I can see by the look in your eyes that you don't remember even what we said two weeks ago. But that's all right. But we began to understand that the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Understand that. There are two seeds. 
Let me say that again. There are two seeds. There's the seed of the woman, which is the ovum, the egg, and then there is the seed of the serpent. So that tells me this. Listen very closely. If there is a seed of the woman in which Jesus is going to be brought forth, and we know that he was brought forth from a virgin, amen, the Holy Spirit overshadowed, and the Word of God was birthed within Mary, and she, she conceived. God did not have relationship with her. Hello? She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and the seed was planted within her, and the Son of God, you know, was conceived. There is also going to be a seed of the serpent. Because the Antichrist is an imitator of Christ. So everything that happened in Jesus' life and everything that he did and all of his exploits accounted for in the four Gospels will be mimicked and imitated by the Antichrist. But he will be the seed of the serpent. Okay? So we saw that there are two seeds that are contending with one another. And that God wants to bring forth a Messiah, an anointed one, that would deliver mankind from the destructive power of sin, the destructive power of the kingdom of darkness, and the destructive power of the second death. Jesus came to restore us from all of these things. And it's not just the forgiveness of sins. And people will get upset about that. They say, well, it's just about the forgiveness of sins. No, it's not. That's just the cleaning of the cup so that it could pour his spirit on the inside of us, causing us to praise God, not live unto ourselves, But the life that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Listen, God wants to replicate Jesus on the inside of you. Amen. He cleaned you up to put him in. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He cleaned you up. And when he cleaned you with his blood, praise God, it gave access Just like in the tabernacle, just like in the temple, the blood gave access to the Shekinah glory of God coming and resting upon the top of the ark. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, you are now the Holy of Holies. You are now the ark of God. You have the Shekinah glory and the throne of your heart. Amen. So if God desires that, then Satan also desires that. And through unrighteousness, he established his throne in the hearts of men and women. Do you understand that? So iniquity and sin cause a habitation for Satan, where righteousness, through the forgiveness of sin, create a habitation for Yahweh. For Jesus to be enthroned in your heart. Amen? Are you with me today? So, we talked about that. Now we're going to talk about the second building block to the world system. And that is the Genesis 6 conspiracy. 
because it's an absolute and utter conspiracy. Because Satan and fallen angels, along with human agents, conspire together to destroy the line of humanity so that the Messiah could not come through it. That was the whole purpose of this. It wasn't just to make weird stories. It was to destroy and and destroy humanity or mar humanity in the image of God within humanity to such a degree that the Messiah could not come through and restore humanity back to its proper place. Amen? So we have to understand the rebellion of Satan. The rebellion of Satan was based upon the fact that he was, as you can see, which is implicitly taught in the Scriptures, and you can see it explicitly through the actions of the wicked one throughout the Scriptures, is that he is jealous of humankind. Okay? In fact, in um, I'm taking some side notes. Is that all right if I just go by the Spirit of the Lord? Okay, the eighth chapter of, of the psalm, Psalm 8, there is uh, an angel that ap- approaches God and says, Who is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? You've made him a little lower than, it says angels, but it's the word Elohim, and, and angels are Elohim because they're direct creations of God. Okay? Elohim is not the name of God. Elohim is more about locality, that he's a spirit living in a spirit world. That doesn't mean immaterial. It doesn't mean immaterial. It doesn't mean Casper the Friendly Ghost. It doesn't mean you try to punch them and your hand goes through them. Hello. That just simply means they're on another dimension, that they have a materiality to them, because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 clearly tells us It tells us that there is a physical, fleshly material, and then there's also a spiritual material. Come on now. So it's not just this wispy, you know, white cloud world where everybody's just floating around. You might float, baby, but it's not because you can be seen through. Amen? So there is a materiality to that world. Amen? We're created in the likeness and image of God. But see, this angel comes forth, and this angel is Lucifer. He says, you've given him dominion over the work of your hands, over the work of your fingers. You've put him and put him in this position. Well, guess what? That was my position. See, you can go back to the Old Testament and and the the story is told over and over and over again. I was reading this morning in my devotional readings about Saul and uh, how Saul started off and he was God's anointed man. God chose him. Even though the people wanted him and it wasn't the will of God, God chose Saul. But guess what? Saul fell from the office through disobedience. And Samuel tells him this. He says this. He says, because you've done this thing, your throne will no longer continue. 
Your line will no longer, oh, you're not getting this. You're not getting, this is exactly what happened to Satan. Exactly what happened to Lucifer. Because of your iniquity, because of the fact that you've disobeyed and your gross pride, your line will no longer rule Israel. Well, guess what? When Lucifer fell, his line, his authority would no longer be in, you know, in force. God would no longer back it. But he said, but I have found a man after mine own heart. And what is he talking about? He's talking about humanity. He said, I'm going to create a man after mine own heart. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what Lucifer looks at when he looks at you. Just as Saul threw spears at David, the flaming darts of the wicked one are hurled at you. The story is told over and over and over again. It is not something that is vague, not something that isn't clear. We are his replacement. We are the replacement for the fallen angels. We are the replacement. We're going to become the watchers of humanity. He does not care for that. Oh, I got some good news for you. Is it all right? If I take my time, is it okay? Listen. Psalm 8 is this angel, Satan, coming to God and saying, Why are you mindful of him? You know, he can't even tie his shoes. He can't do. He doesn't know what I know. He can't do what I do. But you know, in Hebrews chapter 2, one of my favorite, you like that one? I know you do. In Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about the superiority of Jesus, the God-man, over angels. And guess what Jesus does? Because at the start, Lucifer's accusing humanity. Jesus takes that same scripture, oh my gosh. He takes that same scripture and he introduces us to the family of heaven. He introduces us and he says, who is man that you are mindful of him, nor the son of man that thou visitest him? You made him a little lower than the Elohim, but you have crowned him. Oh, oh my gosh. If you don't want to run on that, you've crowned him. Praise God. See, that's going to be done in front of everyone. In that second chapter, it's Jesus introducing his line, his descendants, his family, his bride, his brothers, his sisters. He's not ashamed to call you his family. He's not ashamed to call you his brother. And that's why he wants to destroy us. Because if he can destroy us, he can legally take over the earth. And so he's got you in all these distractions. Get you thinking that your life's just the way that it is. Get you in this mode of operation. 
create a nice velvet noose for you to hang yourself with. Make you think you're free, but you're not. Oh, my goodness. You know you're not free when you try to push past the boundaries he set for you. And you feel his resistance and you feel his opposition. How many know what I'm talking about? But I'm here to tell you Jesus has made you free. He didn't just make you free from your sin and your shame and your condemnation. He made you free of the cell that the enemy put you in. He made you free of the system that he put you in. He made you free. Hello. Just like I said Tuesday night. He not only took care of the verdict and the conviction, he burned the prison down. But he didn't just burn the prison down, he killed the warden and all the guards. <laughs> Glory to God. And that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with this in Genesis chapter 6. I've got some interesting things to say to you today. Let's go to verse number 1. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God. Now, this is used four times in the Old Testament. And in every case, it is in reference to angels. It's the Hebrew word, benai Elohim. And it means sons of God. Amen? are beings of the Elohim kind. That's another translation. Beings of the Elohim kind. That means that they're in the same classification. They are not gods. They are direct creations of gods. And they are literal, direct sons of God. Do you see what I'm saying? Amen? So it's talking about angels. Now you've got to get rid of of this mindset of angels that they have wings and, you know, they're wispy creatures and fat little babies going around with harps. And you've got to realize that they, when they're seen in the Scripture, they look like you and I, although there is variations and differences. Now, when you're dealing with seraphim and cherubim, those are different classifications. They're lumped into angels, but they're not. They're living creatures, the Bible Zuons is what they're called in the Greek. And they have, you know, six wings, you know. They have all of these different characteristics, you know, different heads, different faces. Uh, you can de- do a cherubim, and the Bible teaches that a cherubim is like a bull. And that's the reason why Satan has the imagery of the horns is because he was a cherub. Okay, so, you know, it talks about that. So, so in God's creation, there, there are endless variations of created things out in that. And when we step over into the other realm, we're just going to be totally, totally enamored with the expansiveness of God's creation. Amen? Because it isn't just a few angels and a few devils. You know, it is an expansive, fully realized you see cosmogony of, of different types of created things. And some of them are on God's side, majority of them are. And then there is a rebellious part of it. And human beings are a part of that rebellion. And in fact, Adam's transgression was not eating an apple. It was siding with the rebellion 
that was started by Lucifer. Lucifer himself was a priest. He was a priest. And in fact, his covering were nine of the 12 stones that the high priest was covered with. So it shows you that he was in the presence of God and he was operating as some kind of intermediary between the Father and between creation. But because of his rebellion, because of his love for himself and his trafficking, which meant that he went around and began to stir up trouble, just like another character in the Bible, Absalom. See, the story is told over and over again. Do you think God's trying to get it through our thick head? Over and over again, Absalom. Absalom went to the gate and began to say, well, if I was king, well, that's exactly the same characteristic of Lucifer. It's just like, well, if I was pastor, or if I was, if I was boss, you know what spirit that's from. It isn't from God. Amen. Come on now. Hello. It's not from God. So it's told over and over and over and over again. Amen. Because God wants us to understand where this stuff started. Amen. Okay. All right. Are you with me? So the sons of God are angels, which is the Greek word and the, and the Hebrew word that just simply means messenger. Now, messenger isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's a duty. It's an action. It's a, it, you know, I mean, nobody likes to be the messenger. You know what I'm saying? But that's their function. Their function is to be messengers. In fact, their whole function, remember I showed this to you in the second chapter of the book of Genesis. It says, when he created the heavens and the earth and the host, amen. And you know, he told Israel, don't worship the hosts. Hello, because they're just messengers. They're sending messages from heaven to earth. They're sending messages from earth to heaven. Amen? Oh, gosh, I, I could go somewhere here. You've got to understand that it's the angels that transfer prayers. How many remember in the book of Revelation? It shows an angel taking a vial that is filled with the prayers of the saints. You remember that in the book of Revelation? He takes this vial and he throws it down to earth. Oh, you didn't get that. Those prayers came up somehow. They filled a vial, which is God's prayer bombs. See, we've got this idea that prayer starts with us. It never starts with us. It starts with him. He, his heart, his mind, his will begins to get in our heart. We begin to pray it back up to him. Why is that? Because we're, we're, we've got dominion. So he uses the human apparatus to speak his words into the earth thereby releasing his will and ability into the earth. And that's exactly what's happened in the book of Revelation. This angel takes his file and he hurls it down to earth 
and it creates a storm. It creates a change in environment. It creates an... Amen. So these angels, they come and bring messages. How many remember the angels that came with a pre-incarnate Jesus to Abraham and talked to him about Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember that? They came and they conveyed a message. Amen? How many times in the book of Acts did the angels release, like Peter and, and things, and they said, go and teach all that is about this life. They, they gave a message to encourage the church. Amen? So we've got to get this idea out of our mind that these are just, and, and some people say, well, that's the sons of Seth. Oh, my gosh, people. Listen, a son of Seth and a son of Cain, or a daughter of Cain, is not going to bring about a giant. Hello. It has to be a different DNA. But people don't want to believe this stuff anymore. Hello? But yet they'll buy Ouija boards and go get their palm read. And do yoga. But yet they don't want to believe this. Listen, if you don't believe this, how can you believe in the incarnation of Jesus? Amen? Oh, it got quiet there. All right, okay. He saw that the daughters of, of man were attractive. Were attractive. Say that word, attractive. Okay, this is the word for pleasant. Another translation says, and this is a expanded translation, says fit extension. Fit extension. That means that the angels figured out that there was a way to use human beings as a form of moldable media that they could tamper with the physiology of human genetics. Hello. It wasn't that they went online and got on Christian Mingle, put up their, their shiny face and said, you know, I'm Gabriel and Hello, notice what it says. It says, and they took, listen to that word, they took. Now people will say, well, how did they take them? Well, they took them by force, by, by, uh, uh, rabbis will tell you. But they also took them in exchange for something. Okay, so let me show you a little. The way the Bible is written is very interesting. That You've got to dig deep to get this stuff. It's not... You know, it, it, it's not just right on the surface, okay? But when you look at the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, you're introduced to the line of Cain, okay? And we understand that the line of Cain was the, the line that basically was part of the seed of the serpent because Cain hated God and lived a life irrespective of him and sought to build systems that were irrespective. Are you getting bored? Are we all right? 
So it begins to talk about his genealogy in verse number 17 through verse 22. And it's interesting that in Cain's genealogy, it differs from Seth's in the fact that it has women in the genealogy. Now, God does not put anybody's name in his word that doesn't have significance. It isn't, oh, by the way, you know, or a sub-note, or yeah, she was there too. No, it is, it is important for you to understand that. But he mentions Tubal Cain's sister in verse number 22 called Nama. Okay? Now, when it, we go back to Genesis chapter 6 and we look at the word attractive. The word attractive means pleasant. The word Nama or the name Nama means pleasant. Do you see the connection? If you look at the preceding verses, you will see that there is technology being birthed through the line of Cain. We begin to see metallurgy. We begin to see music. We begin to see, you know, the raising of cattle. We begin to see all kinds of different things. Those were technologies that were taught to them in the exchange for their pleasant women. Do you see that? They're doing it still today. You think that iPhone 15 that's coming out? You know, man just thought of that. Come on now. Man just thought. See, there was a burst of technology from 1947 on. And where do they believe that happened? That happened with the Roswell crash. And you think that that crash was by accident? They found stuff in there. This is what they say. That caused them to be able to produce the technology that we have today. And if you think that iPhone 15 that's fixing to come out is the top tier, when the love of money is the root of all evil, you're mistaken. Because they're holding out on the goods. They got batteries that you would never need to replace. <coughs> but they want you buying them batteries in the middle of the night, wearing your PJs at Walmart. Man is a sucker for inside information, esoteric wisdom. And technology. Man's a sucker for it. And they know exactly what they're doing. And they exchanged. They took them eventually. But then, before they started changing out and trading out women for technology. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, he said the days of Noah will be like the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, let's look over at another portion of Scripture here, uh, the book of Daniel. Are we okay? I'm going to let you out early today. Are you sure? 
Okay. All right. You guys, I'm getting mixed signals from you. Some of you are bringing your my pillow to church. All right. Hallelujah. The second, um, the second chapter of Daniel. Okay. The second chapter of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and it troubles him. And he sees this giant colossal statue. And the first of it, it had a head of gold. It had a chest, you see, of silver. And then it had a midsection of bronze. And then it had two legs with iron. And then it had two feet with ten toes that were iron mixed with clay. Okay? Now, those symbolize the kingdoms that will be over Israel in the last days. So the first one we find out is Babylon, the head of gold. Then we know that the Medo-Persian Empire or the Persian Empire, which is largely contributing to what's happening in Israel right now. Okay, they are funding Hamas and have, and we indirectly funded them by giving them billions of dollars. Okay? So we see that that's silver. And then we see the Grecian Empire, founded by Alexander the Great, is the bronze part. But then we see the Roman Empire. Now notice each one of these um, are diminishing in value. You go from gold... And you go to iron mixed with clay. I mean, it's just a total and absolute diminishment. Okay? So many people have said, well, you know, what is the clay mixed with the iron? Because we know that doesn't work. We know that doesn't mean. That compromises the integrity of the iron when you mix it with clay. But when you understand Genesis 6 and how that they began to mix themselves into the human genome, they were dealing with antediluvian or pre-flood people. And pre-flood people were built better than you and I. And that means, now listen, listen to me, this is, this, this is, this is cool. That means that the Nephilim are the giants that came from that antediluvian or pre-flood world were superior, larger, bigger, and more fierce. But after the flood, man had diminished and the media or the product wasn't as, uh, didn't have the same integrity to it. And so the giants were smaller, like Goliath and like Og. You see what I'm saying? See, they're having trouble. They're having trouble these days with this because this wasn't in pristine condition like it was in the antediluvian world. And that's the reason why you're getting all these kinds of weird ideas and weird uh, reports about different hybrids of people, but they're not necessarily the same as they were. It's because... Humanity is degenerating. Our bodies and genetics are deteriorating. We're not getting better. But here's the good news. 
because we are born of God, Jesus Christ lives on the inside of us. And we're not just like normal dirt. Hello. In Adam, which is a type of dirt, Adam means red. Come on now. It's red dirt, red clay. That dirt in Adam all die. But in Christ, all are made alive. I'm here to tell you that your dirt is the prized and protected property of Almighty God. God chooses to dwell in your dirt. That means also that your dirt has access to things that normal dirt does not have access to. The normal dirt does not have the life of God on the inside of it, but praise God, our dirt does. And that means this. That whatever is lacking in my genetics has been made right by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to die. And I'm not going to say that you're not going to be tempted to be sick or to face symptoms in your body. But once you get the revelation and understand that you have treasure in this earthen vessel that is greater than anything that this world has to offer, greater than any storm, greater than any sickness, greater than any infirmity that you could possibly have, it will energize that soil to where it will drive out sickness and disease from your life. And I'm not just telling you that because the Bible says. The Bible should be the authority. But I'm telling you as living proof that Jesus living in my dirt gave me a brand new heart. Amen? So the genetic line has deteriorated to the point that They're not able to use it. It's kind of like when you go into business for yourself and your product is dependent upon certain ingredients or products that you get from a wholesaler. Well, all of a sudden, the wholesaler starts cutting the product. Come on now. He starts cutting the product down. This happens in the restaurant business all the time. You go to a restaurant and say, oh, my gosh, they got the best chicken fried steak. That there ever is, isn't that right? The best chicken fried steak. And then you go about three months later, and it don't taste the same. It don't even look the same. It's because they had to cut corners. Because the love of money is the root. Okay. All right. But notice what it says here. Verse 49. Very interesting, mysterious, weird I'm going to say it this way. Weird. Scripture. Weird stuff. If it's weird, it's important. Notice what it says. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they. Everybody say they. They. Who's the they? So they will mix with one another in marriage. That's what the ESV says. That's not what it says in the original language. The King James Version is actually pretty, pretty accurate. 
Most of the times it is. Notice what it says in the King James. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave to one another. That means this. They're going to mix with people again, but it's not going to be the same. Because it will be like iron and clay. What's he referring to? Genesis 6. What was Jesus referring to in the days of Noah? He was referring to that. Amen? Strange things are afoot. One of my favorite uh, lines from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure (laughs) is strange things are afoot at the Circle K. (laughs) Genesis 6. Some of you like that movie. It's a pretty sorry movie, but it's all right. (laughs) Genesis 6. Notice this, okay? I got 10 more minutes, all right? Really, that's not true. But but anyway. Okay, it says, They took their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. Now, he's not talking about physical digits. This is another esoteric number. Uh, that is used in the scripture to denote 120 jubilee years. So a jubilee is 49 years. 50 is a jubilee year. And so you're looking at 6,000 years. So he's basically telling you the extent by which he is going to, you know, his mercy is going to end at 6,000. Only, only God knows when that's going to happen. Amen. And uh, he is merciful and gracious, amen, but 6,000 years. And he says this, for he is flesh, his day shall be 120 years. Now it says the Nephilim, okay, the Nephilim. And this word just simply means the fallen ones. Now it's translated in your King James as a giant, and that's accurate. The the, uh, Septuagint uses the word giants here, Gabor in the Greek. Okay, but it's not just talking about giants. It's talking about hybrid beings. It's talking about the offspring of angelic, a, a celestial DNA coming into a physical or material DNA. You see what I'm saying? And so they're creating hybrids known as Nephilim. They were on the earth in those days. And notice this, and also afterwards. Now, I've often wondered why God just only allowed just a few scriptures in this Genesis 6 account. Because we have to understand that over 2,000 years of human history have passed while God is giving this to Moses. So all of these stories have been told over and over and over and over again. Okay? Entire religions were created from these antediluvian stories. So Moses was well acquainted. In fact, the whole Egyptian culture is based upon antediluvian world, the pre-flood world. They're finding out, you know, that the uh, pyramids have been here longer than they originally thought. 
And pyramid structures are all over the world. They're covered. Many of them are covered over, and they simply look like mountains over time of erosion and, and, and you know, all the different atmospheric things that they've been exposed to. But understand this, that the pyramid was a primary structure in the antediluvian world. And it wasn't just so they could bury their kings in. Notice that in Egyptian culture, you have chimeric creatures. Half human, half animal creatures. Where'd they get that from? They got it from the antediluvian world. Amen? Okay, all right. I'm going to prove it to you here in a minute. So the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. The reason why God didn't go into great detail is because these stories were already known. Genesis is a polemic. It means that God was saying this. He's basically saying, well, you heard this, but this is what really happened. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about prehistory. He says, you've heard this before, you know. He said, but this is what really happened. And he doesn't give a lot of detail about it because the audience knew the stories. Okay? Listen, people have a hard time with this revelation. The Bible was not, please take this, it wasn't written to you personally. It was written for you, but it was written to that generation to be passed down. They understood things we don't understand. They had understanding. Now, as far as it inspired content, yes, it was written to you. But when he's talking about these things, he's talking to a specific audience. It's just like Matthew chapter 24. He's talking to a Jewish audience. And people begin to say, well, he's talking about the rapture of the church and all the stuff regarding the church. He's not talking about stuff regarding the church. He's talking about stuff in regards to Israel. They didn't ask, when's the rapture going to (laughs) come? They didn't even know about a rapture. They said, when, when's the sign of your coming? When Coming is the word parousia in the Greek. It means to set up permanent residence. The rapture is not the setting up a, per, uh, a permanent residence. It's the, basically the, uh, the evacuation of the embassy. Because anytime war is declared, the embassy is evacuated first. Amen? Okay. All right. Now notice this. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. So it basically tells you that right there. Is this the word of God or is it not the word of God? It is absolutely. These were the mighty men. Everybody say mighty men. Who were of old the men of renown. Now isn't it amazing that God would put that classification upon these giants, upon these Nephilim, that they were mighty men who were of old. So it denotes that they are part of 
legend. That means they are a part of history. That means they are part of mythology. And then it says, it goes on and says, the men of renown. That means that these men are still known today. Now you're probably sitting there, well, I don't know, not one of them. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, Pastor. Yes, you do. Because guess what? When you get a telescope as a kid and you look out on the stars and you begin to look at the planets and you begin to realize every planet is named after a false god except for Earth. You begin to plan your week. So you get on your daily planner. You open it up. There's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Those are all named after gods. We're in October. October and December. October, November, and December, which are the only three months of the year that aren't named after a god. Your medicine that you take If you go and study the Greek naming of your medicine, you will see that they're injected within that word is some name of a God. Hello. You want to go down the rabbit hole a little more? The Greek mythology that you study in school and in college are just stories about the fallen angels. Now, I'm going to prove it to you by the scriptures, okay? Because Jesus began to declare this as well, okay? I'm going to give you two illustrations of this. Okay, number one, Luke chapter 10. The disciples come back after being, you know, issued to go forth and to preach the gospel, cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Okay? They come back, and they're excited. They said, man, even the devils, even the demons are subject unto us through your name. And Jesus says... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Did you know Jesus has a sense of humor? See, most of you don't get that joke. That's a joke. Jesus liked to tell jokes. Why is it a joke? Because Satan, Zeus, and Baal were all the storm bringers, the storm gods. They used lightning bolts as a means of afflicting or blessing humanity. And he's saying, I saw Satan fall like a lightning bolt directly tying him to Zeus. Is that a little too loose for you? Okay, we'll go to Revelation chapter 2. 
and we see the church of Pergamum. How many remember the church of Pergamum? Put your thinking caps on. And he says, I know where you live. He says, where the throne of Satan is. Okay, well, I'd kind of like to know why he would say that about Pergamum. That the throne of Satan. I got a picture for you. All right, let's find it. I I taught this a little bit at the start, but I want to. The throne of Satan. Well, what was the throne of Satan? It was this. It was the altar of Zeus. So that means this. Baal, which is the um, Canaanite version, and Zeus, which is the Greek version, and Jupiter, which is the Roman version, are all Satan. Amen. This altar was where they would slay literally thousands of babies, millions, you know, people just to appease Zeus. And the reason why it's so unique is that you see around the the decoration, the carvings, is basically Zeus and his brothers fighting off Kronos and the Titans. Now, why is that significant? Because when the wolf tells the story, the shepherd is always the enemy. And the story of the Olympians against Kronos and the Titans is Satan's version of his rebellion against Yahweh and his angels. Amen. Now, Hitler loved this so much that he went to Pergamum and they dug this thing up and they pieced it back together and he spoke from it. Okay, he spoke from it. Well, he's not the only one that spoke from it. This is a replica of the altar of Zeus at the highest place, I believe, uh, one of the highest places in the United States of America, Denver, Colorado, up in the, up in the uh, Denver uh, Broncos Stadium. I don't know what that, Mile High Stadium. And this is, uh, should I say who he is? Can you see? Can you see who he is? It's uh, President Obama, an instigator of the war in Israel right now. Okay. All right. Are you okay? Okay. Now, talking about the tie, do we got just a little bit more? Okay. All right. First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry. You know, it, it, it was long believed, even in my own life, that biblical knowledge and biblical stuff had a, um, basically had a, um, 
a disconnect from human history. But nothing could be further from the truth. Okay? All right? Now, let's look at this verse here. It says, uh, let's, let's start with verse number three. It says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. We're talking about the day of the Lord. Unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, everybody say lawlessness, is revealed, the son of destruction. Say destruction. destruction. Okay, actually the Greek says son of Apollo. Look it up for yourself. Son of Apollo. Who was Apollo? He was a son of Zeus. He was known as the God of destruction. Okay? All right? Now, he has many different names. Because of the Tower of Babel and the disbursement of languages and cultures, these angels took on different names, but their characteristics are the same. Like I said, we have Jupiter, we have Zeus, and then we have Baal. And they're all the same thing. Apollo, or Apollyon, who is being released in the last days from the bottomless pit. Okay? He was the god that had the arrow. Isn't that, isn't that neat? Isn't, isn't that, come on now. He had the bow and arrow. So did Athena. Okay? They all, they all have arrows. <coughs> Flaming darts of the wicked one. Come on now. I, I, I hope you're getting a hold of this. Okay. But he is characterized in the Hindu world, because the Hindu has its own cosmogony as well, um, which is Shiva. How many remember Shiva, the multi-armed, multi-legged, and who do a dance of destruction, had these knives, you know? How many remember um, the golden voyage of Sinbad? How many remember that? Okay, you got a kind of a Shiva-looking thing, you know, Sinbad fights Shiva. Uh, Shiva is very interesting because Shiva is basically the mascot for several entities such as the World Health Organization. This is a picture of the World Health Organization meeting with uh, dignitaries from China. Now look at the back of their boardroom. They got Shiva. Oh my goodness. They didn't go to an antique store and say, man, that would look good. In my, you know, in my office, okay? Now, notice also that how many have ever heard of CERN? Okay, CERN, the Hadron Collider, where they're putting atoms, busting them together and and creating and trying to find the God particle. Uh, Notice this, that in the front of CERN, there's Shiva. Now, the Great Reset, as it's called, or the Fourth Industrial Revolution, has adopted Shiva as its God mascot because Shiva has to happen before the Reset can come forth. 
Before there can be rebirth, there has to be destruction. And so they have characterized that by bringing Shiva into CERN, into the World Health Organization, into the WEF, and all this. They have adopted this as their uh, as their personal god, and because they want to destroy the foundation. When you have a president saying that we will fundamentally change the United States of America, he is basically referring to a total breakdown. Because in order for change to happen, there has to be chaos. And that's what Shiva represents. Now, guys, don't be mad at me for this, please. Okay? Write all of your incendiary letters to bob at lake-church.com. Now you see why I can't be on YouTube. This is actual Newsweek cover. This isn't made up. I didn't mock this up. It's called the God of all things. Notice who is characterizing. Shiva. Let's get that off of there before you get mad at me. All right? Okay? It's a tie. It's a tie between the gods of the nations and the fallen angels. That's a connection. This book is truth. We can put our trust in this book. It tells us in advance what's going on. But you got to get in it. More than your Beth Moore devotional, You've got to seek the face of God. You've got to realize that he has declared the end from the beginning and has declared and shown us what is about to happen and what is happening. You know, to answer those that think, why are we even exposing this? Why is this even a problem? Well, first off, If you have a problem with exposing things, there's a problem with you. Okay? Secondly, there was a king that the prophet came to him and basically said that there's going to be trouble after your reign, that they're going to go into, the nation is going to go into horrible things. And he said this, well, what you're telling me is good news. Because it won't affect me. But I'm telling you, all of you have grandkids. All of you have kids. All of you have neighbors. All of you have co-workers that are going to face these things without the knowledge of God's Word because you don't want to... You don't want to say anything about it. You don't want to be considered weird. Listen, when you get past 50, you're weird anyway. 
Amen. I mean, when I got past 50, if someone said, hey, you want to go somewhere? There's two things I ask. How far is it? And do I have to wear pants? <laughs> Let me read one more scripture. I'm going to close out. Sixth chapter of Genesis. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It says, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days and from some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. That's accurate. That's accurate. Achilles. You go down the list. All of these stories, all of these morals, all of these things that are taught. See, these fallen angels are direct creations from God. So even though they're corrupted, they still have some of the image. And that's the reason why in a lot of religions, there are comparative, comparable laws Rules are regulations. It's because they came from that kingdom. However, what is different is where your worship is directed and how you get things done. Their altars are never satisfied. If you have to bring an offering to get the grain harvest in, you want an even more better grain harvest, you've got to give even more an offering. If you want your children's marriage to be blessed, you've got to give even more. And you've got to give the best, the absolute best. But there's one God. Who stopped his own altar by the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God. Full of grace and truth. God shut his altar down. He satisfied his own. Amen. There are people still sacrificing today. They're sacrificing their babies. They're sacrificing people. They're sacrificing their animals. They're sacrificing their money. They're sacrificing their, you know, industry and their time. They're sacrificing, and it's just more. It's more. It's more. It's more. But I'm here to tell you, when the Son of God hung upon the cross, He said, it is finished. God was satisfied with the work of Jesus. How about you? How about you? Amen. 
Did you get anything out of that today? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you need to get connected with him. We're going to have ministers up here that are going to be here to pray with you. If you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to rededicate your life, you need healing in your body, deliverance, or just simply prayer over a financial matter or a family matter, they'll be here to help and, and lead you in prayer. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Victory, 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 victory. Now you know who Jesus stripped. Now you know who Jesus totally annihilated. Now you, oh, come on. You, you just thought it was the devil. You just thought it was him. No, it was a whole slew of bad boys. The League of Doom has been defeated. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I could go and go and go. Me go a long time. Amen. But I'm not. I'm going to resist. Steadfast in my faith. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I tell you, we, we started right before our rise a great study on the book of Galatians. Pastor Kevin is doing. You need to be here. It's all about legalism. Praise God, which is one of the many aspects of the world system that keeps people blinded to the truth. And uh, so you need to get here and, and listen to these great teachings. It will be a great blessing to you. Amen. God is good, greatly to be praised. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.